No matter what type of financial status, social standing, or relationship you may acquire, there will always be a certain level of contentment that simply cannot be achieved. Our soul is hungry for something that only Jesus can provide. In this series, we will uncover our deepest desires. So prepare your heart for a word from God. Worship team, thank you. You guys sound good this morning. You sound good this morning. I want to welcome those of you who are watching online. If you're here for the first time and I've not met you, my name is Peyton. I get to be the lead pastor here at City Lots, and we are just encouraged by what the Lord is doing here. We are in a series, week three, called Soul Hunger, and the idea is that we are trying to figure out what we learn from these deepest desires that we have in life. We all have desires that sometimes are unexplainable, sometimes they're not sustainable, and uh, we want to learn what is it that God is doing in us from those. And so for part three this morning, I want to speak with you about this idea that it's in the ordinary. It's in the ordinary. And here's what I believe sometimes. I believe sometimes when it comes to our stories, if you're in Christ, if you're, if you're watching online, you're a believer, if you're here this morning and I'm sending my voice and you're a believer, sometimes we want to know this. Does my story matter? Does my story matter? Is it important? Is it a big, is, I mean, is it a big deal? Is it a little deal? Are there people that have better stories than mine? And here's the question. Every week we're answering a question from this, this hunger in our souls that we have. Does my story matter? Is it a big deal? But I think, I, I, I know that many of us have asked ourselves this. Can God use me? Now, I want to be honest with you. The first service had a lot of energy, so don't come here and be sick and silly this morning, okay? I need you to participate with me. I'm talking this morning. I've got a message for somebody this morning that you truly wonder, can God use me? If you feel like God is using you to his highest glory and you are giving him all the glory you can and you have no struggles, you've never doubted, could God use a wreck like you? Then this message is not for you. You can just sit back, relax, and wait for 30 minutes. But I'm talking to the people this morning that really want to know. Maybe you've experienced God use you, and the question is this, will God continue to use me after my mistakes, after my pride, after my selfishness, after my intentional sin? Can God use someone like me? Maybe you're new in the faith and you're wondering, okay, I know God can save me, but can God really use me? Maybe you're older in the faith and you're wondering, can God still do something new in me? And here's what I know to be true about this question is oftentimes we ask, can God use me? Because you're comparing your story or your experience to someone else's. A lot of times in our culture, um, culture meaning the South, and I'm sure it's other places, but I certainly recognize it here. I hear people when they talk about like their testimony or how they encountered God or what he's done in them, they say things like, well, mine's not really that powerful. You know, my, my testimony is kind of boring. And or they'll automatically start off by saying, I didn't overcome addiction. You know, I was raised in a good home. I got a good education. I got a good job. My story is just kind of boring. Really? Really? So what you're doing, what you're, you're actually downplaying God's glory and grace to save you because it takes just as much grace to save the addicted as it does the anointed, the murderer as the mistress, but for some reason, you feel like just because God spared you from a life of addiction or pain and turmoil, that your story is not as powerful. I think sometimes we hear these great testimonies. And like, you got to hear, he's overcome alcoholism. He almost died on a plane wreck. He was shipwrecked for three days. And just God's really using him. You need to hear his story. And we feel like ours is not comparable because we're in a comparison trap. And so we want to know this. Can God use me? 
And I want to be really, really honest with you. I know that God uses me. I know that he is with me. But sometimes I still wonder. Like, God, can you use me this morning? Can you use me even though I've got all this sin in me, this pride in me, this ego in me, these problems in me? Can you really use me? If that question resonates with you, that's who I'm talking to today. If it doesn't, keep listening and maybe I'll grab your attention. But because we often wonder, can God use me? We compare it, as I previously stated, to someone else's story. So you can pull it up. We want to encounter God in the supernatural, but I'm wondering, what if he wants to just encounter us, if he wants to meet us in the natural? What I'm meaning is, sometimes we look for these supernatural experiences with God. Like, I need him to part the sky. I need him to split the sea. I need him, God, if you're going to do this, you're going to give me this job. You're going to tell me. You're going to answer this prayer in ABC. I want to encounter, I think like Paul. He encountered Jesus on the Damascus Road. Paul has an incredible testimony, if you will. He murdered Christians. He met Jesus on this supernatural encounter, became blinded by the light, and then he made a way for the light. He planted churches and wrote most of the New Testament. I think of someone like Peter, the disciple Peter. He stepped out in water, and yeah, he sank, but he walked for a while. He got to do some incredible things for Jesus. His first time he ever preached on the day of Pentecost, 3,000 people got saved. It's a lot of pressure for a preacher, okay? It's a big deal. He's got a pretty powerful testimony. I think of someone like Moses who got to experience and encounter God in the burning bush. And we read those stories and we're like, I need that kind of supernatural experience. But I believe that God wants to just encounter us on the natural encounters on Monday morning when we go to work and we don't feel like we can make it. It's at the end of a work week when you're tired and you're exhausted and you know you got family coming over the weekend and you know you need Jesus to help you get through it. What if God just wants to meet you in the natural places of your life? What if you're missing out on him because you're looking for the supernatural and he just wants to meet you in the ordinary? Another way we could say it is like this. We want to experience God in the extraordinary. I want these, I want these extraordinary moments with him. But what if God just wants to meet you in the ordinary? What if this, what if you've come here this morning expecting something extraordinary, but you missed out on the ordinary when God was trying to get your attention on the drive here? What if you're looking for something so supernatural right now that you just missed out on the natural things that God's trying to speak through you through His messenger? See, it's in the ordinary places that God wants us to to encounter him. And we, you know what, listen, I pray for supernatural encounters. I pray for extraordinary. But what I've learned about God and how he works is 99% of the time, it's in the very places that I think I won't find him or it's in the very places I don't want him to find me. Speaking of, there's a story today that we're going to look at in the New Testament about a woman. She lives in an area called Samaria. This place for Jews back in the first century Palestine area during Jesus' life, his ministry, they were considered scum, okay? There's no nice way to put it. They were considered scum. They were outcasts. People did not like it, did not like them. But Jesus is going to go to a place and have an encounter with a woman at a well. And I think it's going to answer this question. One, can God use me? How will he use me? And I think you'll see this. If God can use her, he can use you. And let me just be really, really honest with everybody in here. And I mean this. If God can use me, I assure you, God can use you. We're in John chapter 4 this morning, verse 1. It says, 
Jesus has been teaching, he's been traveling. He says, when Jesus knew that the Pharisees, the Pharisees were religious teachers of uh, this time, when they had heard that he was making and baptizing more disciples than John, this is in reference to John the Baptist, though he himself was not baptizing, but his disciples were. Listen, he left Judea and went again to Galilee. I love verse 4 here. It says, let me hear it. He had to travel through Samaria. Now, when I read this, something initially and immediately sticks out to me. It does not say that Jesus wanted to go to Samaria. It does not say that it was the fastest route from Judea to Galilee. It does not say it's the most scenic route. It says he had to go through Samaria. And I read this and my initial thought is, what does Jesus have to do? What does God, I mean, have to do? He can do anything and all things, whatever he wants, whenever he wants. But it said he had to go through Samaria. And here's what you must be reminded of. And I want to show you, pull up a picture of this map. It says that he was leaving Judea to go to Galilee. Well, you see Samaria is right there in the middle. Here's the thing about this time, uh, this time period, the end first century. As I've stated, Jews thought that the Samaritans were disgusting. So, so disgusting that their land was so disgusting. If you look to the right of that, you'll see the Jordan River. They would actually go all the way around Samaria, trail the Jordan River to get to Galilee. They, were just, they didn't even want to go there. They didn't even want to see those places. I'm thankful this morning for a story like this that will show and prove that Jesus will go to places to reach people that nobody else wants to reach. He had to go to Samaria. He had to. That's still hard for me to even read, that he had to. But God had a plan. And you're going to see it's just in an ordinary moment that his faithfulness, that his sovereignty is going to come through. Verse 5 says this, so he's traveling, he had to go through Samaria. He, so he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar near the property that Jacob, let me hear it, had given his son Joseph. This is just an Old Testament reference. It would have helped the reader in the time understand the geographical location almost pinpoint to where Jesus is at. Verse 6 says, Jacob's well was there. And listen to this. And Jesus, worn out from his journey. How many of you know that Jesus was fully God? But here we know, and we also see in other places, that he was fully human. I know this to be true. Many of you, you come here this morning, and you've been on a journey, and you're sitting down, but you're worn out. You've been fighting battles that you don't need to be fighting. You've been putting your place, your, your business, uh, your nose in business that you have no idea uh, what you're getting into, places it doesn't belong. You've been on spiritual battles. You've been in physical battles, relational battles, and you're on a journey, and you're worn out. And that's what we see in the Savior. This is another indicator that you can trust Him, that He knows what you've been through. He's worn out from His journey. He sat down at the well, and it was about 6 in the evening, verse 7. A woman of Samaria, Samaria, excuse me, came to draw water. Listen to this. Let me hear. Give me a drink, Jesus said to her. Now, I think there's something that's really applicable right here that every cross follower online in this room should gain and understand and lean into. And you're going to see in a moment this woman has a story because we all have a story and our story matters. But we're supposed to be sharing our faith. We're supposed to be telling our story to other people, to all people. For some reason, cross followers have a tendency to want to Bible thump and immediately give ultimatums when they share their faith. The ultimatum is, if you die tonight, would you go to heaven or hell? 
the ultimatum is, well, the Word of God says that you shouldn't do this, and you shouldn't do that, and you should do this, and you should do this. And I get it. I really do. But I want you to look at how Jesus met this woman at an ordinary place at six in the evening. He meets her at a well. She's obviously coming to get water. He's worn out. So before he even starts saying, hey, will you follow me? Do you believe in God? Do you believe that I'm the Messiah? He just meets her where she's at and says, hey, can I have a drink of water? Errol and I, my wife, we have some family that are, um, I call them halfsies. Halfsies like, halfsies I don't think they believe, halfsies they maybe do. And the halfsies that they do believe, I don't know what they do believe. And we don't have a lot of spiritual conversations with them. We, we spend time with them. We love them. They have kids. They love our kids, you know, but we just, it's just not there. Last night for the first time in 15 years, I was able to have a spiritual conversation with this man. And I was so thankful. And even in the moment, let me tell you how this happened for me, how it worked for me. In the, in the moment, I'm praying, Holy Spirit, just give me the words to, to, to speak and ears to listen. And when I say ears to speak, I want to remind somebody out here of this or let you know for the first time. When you're having a conversation with someone, it's not your job to save them. That's the Holy Spirit's job. So I just relieved myself of that pressure years ago. That that's not my job. So I'm sitting there and I'm having a spiritual conversation with him. And I want to be honest with you. He's saying a ton of stuff that I do not agree with. And I just kind of want to pounce like a lion. and be like, no, bro, you're wrong. Let me take you to the scripture and show you what the word of God says. But I trusted in that Holy Spirit in that moment that he would lead me. And so I let him speak. He would ask me how I feel about things, and I would share, not in a, in a condemning way or even trying to contradict him. Just I would talk about my God. See, because my job is not to convince anyone. All I Listen, God is like a lion in a cage. I don't have to defend it. I just have to open it out and let that lion out. And so we're having this conversation, and basically it's like this. I'm like, hey, man, can I have a drink of water? We're both here at the well. Let's just talk about common ground. And I think there's a lot of application that we can learn from this when it goes to sharing your faith. If you've ever felt like, hey, God's telling me to tell somebody something, God's wanting me to speak something to someone, then the best thing you could do is meet them where they're at on common ground. And if you're at the well, doesn't it make sense that Jesus would say, hey, can I have a drink of water? And he's going to take it a lot further, but that's how he starts out. This is a good indication of how Christians, Christ followers, should be sharing their faith and where they should be meeting people, where they're at. It says this, so he asked for a drink of water, then verse 8 says, for his disciples had gone into town to buy food. Now, I'm not recommending this or encouraging this, particularly in the 21st century, but here Jesus is by himself with a woman at a well, no accountability, anything could be misconstrued or brought up or said, and you're fixing to see the personality of this woman, but what I'm thankful for is that Jesus will stay in the ditches and the trenches and at the well with those who are dirty, to give them an opportunity to become holy. Verse 9, he says, excuse me, she says this. She says, how is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? Now, this is what I feel like sometimes. God, how is it a good God, a holy God like you, can use a former addict like me? Jesus may have not asked you for a drink this morning, but you know that he's calling you to something greater. You have this soul that hungers for a deeper purpose, a deeper desire. And you're wondering, how can a God like you, you someone like me, so jaded, so jacked up, so prideful, so skeptical, so wishy-washy, 
And that's how this woman feels. And if you've ever felt like that, and you're sitting at the well this morning, you're at a good place to be. Look, she said, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. No doubt this woman had encountered many Pharisees, many religious people from the area, and they had always turned their back on Samaritans. What I love about the gospel of Christ and Jesus crucified is though when religion turns its back on humanity, Jesus went to the cross and and he strapped the cross on his back so humanity could come to him. Jews don't associate with Samaritans. You know what else this teaches Christ followers? If all you're doing is hanging around Jews and no Samaritans, you're missing out on the mission of God. Verse 10, it says, Jesus answered. I love this. He says, if you knew the gift of God and who is saying to you, give me a drink, you would ask him, leave me here, and he would give you living water. I love that Jesus is having this encounter with this woman, and she doesn't even know who he is. But he's not running. He's not begging. He's giving every opportunity. He's like, hey, if you really knew who I am, you'd never thirst again. He said, if you really knew who I am, you would ask for things that are so much greater. And I wonder if that's true for Christ followers today. When you're sitting at the well with Jesus, and I'm not trying to be insensitive to your request or petitions of God, but perhaps the minuscule things that you're asking, God's like, hey, if you know who I am sitting in front of you, I could give you so many greater things. If you knew who I really am, Verse 11, sir, said the woman, you don't even have a bucket. You need to hang on to this verse. We're going to come back to it. She says, you don't even have a bucket, and the well is deep. So where do you get this living water? Now, what Jesus is trying to tell her, not necessarily in a subliminal way, but in a way that she can't receive because her heart's not been there yet, because her heart's full of sin and shame and regret, is that, hey, you need a physical cup, but I'm the one that can give you the eternal feeling that you need. I'm the one that you need. And so Jesus, what I think he's teaching is that Jesus is the only one that can meet our needs because he is everything we need. Going, you go buy a new car, you still got to have an oil change. You go buy a new car, put some miles on those tires, you got to buy new tires. You buy that new house or that old house, especially you buy that old house. You got to do some maintenance and upkeep, right? But no, no, no. When you get Jesus, you get the total package. And that's what he's telling her is, hey, listen, I'm the only one in this universe that can give you everything you need because everything I am is all that you need. If this morning you're searching, you're at the well, and you're feeling like, hey, I just don't have everything I need, is it maybe because you're not putting the things that you need into the one who can supply you with that? If, are you looking to people and places and things instead of the person of God himself? If your soul is hungering and you're never satisfied, perhaps it's because you're putting your satisfaction, your achievements, your accomplishments into a place that's temporary. But Jesus is saying, I'm the living water. Could you imagine how weird that would have been to hear back then? 
See, like we understand now that he was like, I'm the living water. I'm, he's the one who never dies and resurrects and gives us life, and he's the bread of life. But could you imagine being this woman 2,000 years ago? And he was like, hey, I'm the living water. A little cuckoo, right? If you're a cross follower and you feel cuckoo, you're probably in good company. So he tells her that he's the living water. He tells her, hey, I can give you the living water. They have a spiritual conversation that he is the living water. We skip ahead four verses. That's what happens in between. This is verse 15. It says, sir, the woman said to him, give me this water so I won't get thirsty and come here to draw water. Now, here's what's happening. How many of you know that even when Jesus explains things clearly to us, we still don't always understand? In the moment, it's one thing, but it takes something else to show it's, it's another thing. Now listen, I'm feeling fired up, and y'all don't know it, but I'm going to try my best to show you, okay? He came to her, and he met her where she was at this well. See, it was in the ordinary place that day that Jesus met her. It wasn't a supernatural place. It was a very natural place indeed. And he came to her because he was thirsty. It says he had to go through Samaria. Samaria. I believe this morning that some of you feel like you chose to come, but Jesus was drawing you to the well and you had to be here. See, you came under the pretense that you were going to get one thing, but God had a different plan for you, and you're starting to realize it right now as I take this plane off. She comes to this well. Jesus meets her there. He asks for a drink of water because he's good at having spiritual conversations. That opens up the door. He begins talking about the living water. Now something really weird happens right here. And you just agreed that sometimes Jesus shows up on the scene and meets us where we're at, but will turn the page on a dime to get us to where we need to be. And that's what happens in the story. There's just no two ways to make it lightly. One moment they're talking about living water, and the very next verse he says this, Go call your husband, he told her, and come back here. That's kind of weird, right? We're talking about water, living water. She's like, hey, I've, I'll take some of this living water. You've kind of got me feeling a little good, and I'll take some of it. And he turns the page, go call your husband. Verse 17, she says, I don't have a husband. She answered, you have correctly said, I don't have a husband, Jesus answered, or excuse me, Jesus said, verse 18. For you have had five husbands, leave me here, and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. Now listen, whether you're watching online or you're sitting in this auditorium, let me just give a quick recap, and you should be able to understand. This woman has been married five times. <laughs> Commitment is obviously not her strong point. She's now with a man that's not her husband, which indicates a lot of things. What do you suppose, and I hate to even ask you this question in church because I know that we're trying to be holy for he is holy, Please don't answer out loud. But what do you think society would have called this woman? You know what I'm talking about. Because maybe many of you would call her that too. That's how you know what society would call her because you've got that label that you could give out as well. Short of princess, whatever you came up with was correct, okay? This is a very, let's be honest, a very dirty woman in a very dirty city 
at an ordinary place who was encountering an extraordinary God. There's something about this moment. We just sang it. We just sang it and it reminded me. And sons of daughters that, you know, in his love and kindness, he chose the lowly and the weak. So you're telling me in his kindness, he chooses those who are afflicted and addicted? Because see, it would make sense to me that in his goodness, he would choose the righteous, those from the temple, those who are educated, those who have it together. But in his kindness, Christy, he chooses the lowly and the weak. Then isn't it fitting that he would be at such a place with such a woman at such a time as this? Now, here's what happens. Jesus talks about being the living water. He meets her where she's at so he can have this conversation. He meets her just in an ordinary place on an ordinary day. He just comes walking by. He had to go through Samaria. He begins to have this conversation with her based off of the content and the context of where they're at, the well, the water. He gets her attention, and he automatically changes it to deal with the real sin that's going on, right, the real matter. You can come and say you're thirsty. You can come and say you're hungry. But the real problem is you've not been drinking. You've not been eating. And that's what Jesus is addressing here with her. He goes to the surface, but then he takes it deep. And here's where I want you to pay attention. I told you this a little while ago to hang on to this. A few verses before this, we read John chapter 4. This is um, uh, verse 11. This is 11a, the beginning of it. Sir, said the woman, when he said, hey, I'll give you the living water, right? I'll give you the living water. You're asking for a cup of water. I'll give you what you need that your thirst will never be quenched. You'll always be, you'll always be filled. You'll always be having what you need. But as I study this scripture, there's something about me that draws me to this point. Perhaps this woman knew something about Jesus that he was fixing to take this in a different direction. Because how many of you know, we've talked about it. Man, if God wants to go to a place in you, he'll go there. We talked about it doubting Thomas on Sunday, Easter Sunday. The door was locked and he kicked it in, came out and was like, what's up, Thomas? You can't keep Jesus out when he wants in. You can't keep Jesus from doing what he wants to do when he wants to do it. So when he says, hey, I'll give you the living water, I think practically speaking, there's some truth to her saying, hey, you don't even have a bucket. You came here and asked me for a drink of water. But what if this, what if this woman now realizes perhaps where Jesus is going and she's beginning to feel convicted of her sins, her disobedience, her opposition to the will of God. And so I want you to read it this way, not practically speaking. Let's read it in a spiritual sense. She's saying, Jesus, you don't have a bucket to get my sin and shame out. And by the way, my well is deep with regret and shame and remorse and dirty and filth and pain and shame and more shame and more shame. I'm an outcast in my society. My well is deep and you don't even have a bucket. Did you see perhaps why she would say that? Come on, I know many of you this morning you feel like the well is deep, Pastor. I've been doing some things I know that I shouldn't. I've been thinking some things that I know I shouldn't. And you know, here's the this is the tough part about it. 
If when you're in Christ and you intentionally do those things or you be hard for feelings towards your, your brother and sister, your spouse, you know that it's wrong and you dig that well deeper and deeper and deeper, whatever your issue is. And here's what happens. Just like that woman, she said, hey, you don't have a bucket. Buckets are used for many things. This is a simple bucket. This is a bucket we bought at Lowe's, took the handle off, slapped a 50 cent sticker on, and it's what we pass around for an offering. Right? And by the way, we do want y'all to fill that up every week, okay? But many of us have buckets in our lives that represent many things. See, perhaps that day that woman is asking Jesus, hey, you don't have a bucket because she knows what she needs to be filled up. Man, she needs to forget about how many times she gave her body weight to men that she didn't love. Many of you, you try to fill your bucket up with happiness by seeking and searching out people, places, and things that will give them to you. You try to fill your bucket up with image, with social status. You fill your bucket up with false thoughts. You know what's weird about humanity? It's not weird. It's kind of complex, but... If we tell ourselves a lie long enough, we can actually begin to believe it. And so you fill your bucket up with these lies and deceitfulness and manipulations. And what happens is this. You come along one day and it's not enough. And you know what you do? You empty that bucket out because now these things no longer fill you up anymore. You grab another bucket and you begin to fill the process up over and over and over and over again. That woman there at the well, her bucket was full of shame and pride and guilt. She emptied it and now she's telling Jesus, you don't even have a bucket. But what Jesus was telling her was, hey, you don't need a new bucket here. Joe, you don't need a new bucket. Kevin, you need a new well. You need to allow me to go down deep in you. Let me cleanse the things that only I can do. I'm telling you, church, you don't need a bucket this morning. You need a new well. You need to let him go deep. But here's what happens. After this moment, she recognizes her sins and these five husbands and this man that she's with now. And she basically had experiences a moment of salvation in the ordinary place at the well that day. This dirty woman this dirty woman that was an outcast in society in a place that nobody wanted to go Jesus had to go there if you're in a, if you're in a place of Samaria this morning even if it's a mindset I assure you if God's coming after you he had to go there to get you and he's not shameful and he's not scared to go to the place that you feel are dirty she basically has this moment of salvation she has this moment of salvation she encounters him at this ordinary place at the will that day in just a natural environment. And I guarantee you she began to have this question immediately. Can God use me? Can God use me? I mean, just a moment ago, I'm at the well giving myself away to a man that I don't belong to. I've done this my whole life. Now I encounter the resurrected king in an ordinary way. And I want you to see how in those ordinary moments, He's fixing to do something very extraordinary in her. He's fixing to answer the question, can God use me? She has this moment of salvation. She embraces Him. He embraces her and her dirtiness. See, her whole life, her soul has hungered for acceptance and true love and purpose. And she found it at an ordinary moment 
out on an ordinary day at a very common place, the well. If you're at the well this morning, you're at a place to receive the living water. She has that encounter. Then 28 verses later, we had to have some discussion because Jesus likes to talk like preachers. 28 verses later, verse 39 says this. Now many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of what the woman said. See, she went back to go tell her story. Many Samaritans believed in him because of what the woman said when she testified, leave me here. He told me everything I ever did. I love it. See, she encountered him in this ordinary way. And now God takes this prostitute back to the town of Samaria. And if you don't know this, if you're a scholar or a theologian, you're into learning. Now you're reading about the first woman evangelist in the town of Samaria. Isn't it fitting that God would take a has-been and make her a would-be? Isn't it, isn't it fitting that God would take somebody worn out, wicked, and dirty and make him a could-be? She could be all things. So she takes her story and says she testified. Listen, she testified of everything that he told her. She couldn't quote scripture. She didn't know about the law. She didn't know about grace. She just knew that on an ordinary day, she encountered this extraordinary God. He told me everything I ever did. Verse 40 says, Therefore, therefore, when the Samaritan came to him, the Samaritans, they asked him to stay with them. Because listen, this God I'm telling you about right now, when you encounter him, what do you want him to do? Come on, God, just stay with me here. Don't leave me now. Don't leave me in the valley. Don't walk away from me in the mountaintops. I want to stay right here with you. You ever had those moments, those church services, that car ride, that study from God's Word? You're like, don't leave me now. So in His goodness, He stayed two days. Two more days. And then verse 41, it says, Many more believed because of what he said. And here's what I got to thinking. Like, I'm the Samaritan woman. I'm dirty. What I do is I come and testify about who Jesus is. And many of you will believe. But once you encounter him yourself, you no longer need my story. You believe because you've experienced him at the well. Verse 42. It says, and they told the woman... We no longer believe because of what you said, Pastor. I mean, we appreciate you being our shepherd, but I've encountered the resurrected King myself. I know His goodness. I've met Him at the well. I've seen that He can do all things. Come on, stand on your feet. He says, we no longer believe because of what you said. We've experienced you for ourselves. Can God use you? The answer is yes. Don't let the lies speak louder than the truth. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you'd like to stay connected with everything that's happening at City Lights, then be sure and follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and also by subscribing to our YouTube channel.